Welcome to the world stage. My name is Tora Bergenatista, and in this podcast, I'll be talking to three of the editors of Doxa, a student paper from a Moscow university, turned key independent Russian media outlet in exile. Do you want to introduce yourself? Uh, hi, my name is Katya. I'm uh, editor of Doxa. Uh, my name is Shura. I'm an editor as well. My name is Nikita. I'm a news editor in Doxa Journal. Uh, Katya, Nikita and Alexandra are in Norway to receive the Student Peace Prize for 2023 for Doxa's work for free expression in Russia. Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, the committee highlights your work on corruption, sexual harassment, political persecution and government disinformation and, of course, your uncompromising reporting on Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. How did you feel when you first learned that you were getting this prize? And, and how do you think about it now? It's actually a great honor for us because uh, it's the first prize that we have during the whole existence of our uh, media and uh, it really validates uh, our uh, work uh, and uh, especially for me it's uh, not especially but <laughs> <laughs> just for me it's uh, really a, a huge uh, honor yeah i think uh, for us it was also a big surprise because we were reached out by emails and uh, i had an interview for the peace prize uh, committee and I remember that I was having such a huge breakdown and I thought okay I'm really tired of this job I'm really I'm not able to do this work and I need a break and then this peace prize kept coming and uh, Matea reaching us out uh, the student peace prize leader and uh, yeah my first thought was that we are so honored really so honored because uh also, during the wartime, it's very important to recognize the work that we are doing. And I think uh, our victory of the Peace Prize also signifies that we want to help Ukrainians and Ukrainian students and to fight for the peace, for the victory of Ukraine, and uh, help Ukrainian, Russian, uh, Belarus students to to get better education, to get peace, to get democracy back in our countries. Mm. Uh, I can rely on Katya's word because sometimes I feel myself very devastating um, during this work and I have this feeling that maybe uh, that's not what I should do, maybe it's all meaningless and um, I feel like um, news like that, it's just like a bright spark that help us to um, to keep in mind that maybe in future we will uh, see democracy in our countries again. Yeah, and as well, I think it's a very great opportunity to connect to Norwegian civil society, to students, to politicians, to NGOs, and uh, as students and um, just journalists, we always lack this context from Nordic countries because we just haven't yet uh, been in this country since my first time in Norway. And uh, 
when you want to do one material, you it, what that is connected to Norway and the Norwegian context, you, of course, better call and <coughs> collaborate with the local expert. And it's amazing that you're having us here. I think we're all very happy to, to have you. Um, as I alluded to in my, my introduction, I don't know if anyone could have foreseen what your journal would turn into when it was started in, in 2017. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know if you saw that coming uh, when you decided to join. And You know, while, while Doxa is now very well-known name for anyone who studies or works on Russia, it's probably a new name to many of our listeners. So I was wondering if you could just tell us the story about Doxa, what do people need to know? Uh, Doxa emerged as a student's um, online media. We wanted to give a platform for young voices to talk about inequality, harassment and corruption in Russian universities. And then later we started to do human rights campaigns to support Russian students and professors who went to protest, to, uh, to be vocal about things that are happening in Russia. And in 2021, um, Russian state um, made a criminal case against four editors of DOXA, uh, Armen Armen, Volodymyr Tolkien, Alla Gutnikova, and Natasha Tushkevich. And uh, they sat on house arrest for a year, and uh, later was sentenced to two years of corrective labor. And uh, these threats didn't stop. So after the start of a full invasion to Ukraine, uh, we were blocked on the territory of Russia, so our website could be accessed only through VPN and mirrors. And uh, later in December, Russian state um, spokesman... Deputy. Deputy, facts. <laughs> uh, suggested to recognize DOCS as extremist organization, which means if you recognize as extremist organization, you can face up to 15 or 20 years in prison. Yeah. And, and maybe yeah. about now, I guess. What uh, are we do now? The main topic, of course, um, is uh, war in Ukraine, and we cover news uh, uh, about Ukrainian, uh, about war in Ukraine, about Russian invasion uh, in Ukraine. And we had, uh, we have interviews with Ukrainian uh, teenagers, and um, also we uh, cover um, anti-war movements uh, in Russian regions, uh, probably um, most of them are non-white regions, non-white movements like uh, Free Buryatia Foundation or Tuva anti-war movement. And we also write about uh, feminist anti-war movement. Uh, we collaborate with uh, um, Russian uh, feminist activists. Uh, and also we write about climate crisis and uh, labor rights and that's all topics that are actually very important for us personally as a young generation of activists. Yeah, maybe Nikita wants to add. Uh, yeah, I think I can add that uh, after the invasion of Russia to Ukraine we really expanded uh, the amount of topics that we cover and uh, now I think we cover more <coughs> international topics. We cover protests in other countries, for example in Iran, in uh, Afghanistan, where women fight for their rights. And uh, 
we really think that uh, it is uh, very important uh, to write about that for Russian-speaking audience, because uh, uh, we can highlight uh, the protests in other countries uh, and to give an example how people are struggle for their rights. Yeah, and I think it's also very inspiring to see if you are in inside of autocracy that people are also fighting and it's very liberating to see these experiences. And always in post-Soviet countries there is this lack of examples in the past or in the present how to struggle, how to fight, how to change, how to build community, how to build civil society. So we perceive that it's important to amplify these voices of resistance all over the world. But I uh, I think that we have such an examples even in uh, uh, countries that were part of uh, Soviet Union. Yeah, because of course, of I, course. Uh, I'm living and Nikita, we are living in Vilnius, in Lithuania right now, and in Lithuania they have like a museum of uh, Soviet occupation, and they also had a very, uh, <laughs> very interesting uh, uh, partisan movement during the Soviet Union, and yeah, I think maybe we should write about them too. But yeah, the main idea is that in Russia, I guess uh, we don't know uh, globally uh, people in Russia globally they don't know uh, much experience of uh, other like uh, um, activistic movements so yeah I think it's really important to give to share the experience a central part of the story of your story and the story you're telling now is of course that you know when you were coming up as independent journalists and doxa was coming into its own as a media platform the space for independent journalism and civic rights in general has been shrinking drastically in Russia. You know, it's, it's safe to say as well that the full-scale invasion of Ukraine in 2022 exacerbated a situation that already made it very difficult to do what you do. As many uh, independent journalists and media people from Russia, you have left the country and you now live in exile. And I want to get back to what that's like. But, but first, I wondered if you could, um, could describe the events uh, even more broadly uh, of, over the last few, few years that eventually led you to, to leave Russia. I think uh, for me, everything started after the return of Alexei Navalny to Russia. And uh, after that, there were huge protests. And uh, Alexei Navalny was, uh, get, uh, went to prison immediately, right from the airport. Uh, we started covering uh, these protests and the arrests of the people who were participating in them. And uh, a big part of the protesters were young and uh, they were students. Uh, and uh, I think after that, the repressions against independent media started. Uh, there were surveys in Russian investigative media, I stories after that, uh, uh, in the project media, it's also an investigative media. And uh, we always uh, had uh, uh, surveys and four of our ed editors, as Kaisa said, uh, were under house arrest for one year. Uh, and uh, now, after the war started, we see how the situation really deteriorated and that uh, all the sides of all the independent medias are blocked. 
and uh, that uh, working from Russia can be really dangerous because of the new laws that uh, uh, Russian parliament uh, accepted because for even uh, calling the war uh, against Ukraine the war, not a special military operation, you can go to prison or at least have a fine. Uh, and uh, for sure, for journalists, uh, for independent journalists uh, who really write uh, what is happening in Ukraine and uh, what is happening in Russia, uh, it is uh, impossible to work from the inside of country and uh, it is dangerous. So uh, the majority of uh, uh, independent journalists, uh, uh, it is not uh, only about our media, like uh, all the other people uh, who, uh, who are working in media, they also left the country. But not all the journalists yep, for sure. left the country. But I uh, remember my experience. I remember that, um, as you mentioned, Nikita, a protest in support of Alexei Navalny, and I actually, uh, they, I covered them. I worked like uh, in the center of protests as a reporter. And I remember this feeling of hope when you see other people's faces and you feel like we can be community we can uh, we can do something and during the um, house arrest during this criminal case i remember that um, doxa has a giant campaign i don't remember such campaigns actually in russia in support of political prisoners and uh, we launched parties every card like we had uh, a lot of uh, uh, courts during this case and uh, we had parties like uh, people who come to the courts to support DOXA they uh, became like community for this year and for example at the summer uh, to, in, to show the support for the uh, our colleagues who were under house arrest um, and they had like this electronic bracelets on their legs uh, all people came to the court with their handmade bracelets on the leg and I remember um, this this is like a very warm memory <laughs> from this uh, <laughs> uh, awful past actually because criminal case is awful but I had this feeling of community and what um, is uh, really stressful for me right now in exile that um, all our community there in different places, some of them in Moscow um, and some of them in Berlin, like Katya and all over the world. And we kind of lost this feeling of community. But I hope that um, that what are we doing now, like in um, like we continue work uh, from abroad. Uh, I hope that uh, in future we will uh, return and <laughs> have parties again. I hope not at the courts but just parties yeah mm. but uh, in practical maybe Katya wants to say about uh, how we struggle uh, like practically not no, metaphorically I don't want to tell only how we struggle <laughs> <Sorry>. I mean <laughs> I want to tell my story <laughs> talk more about parties maybe <coughs> that'd be nice yeah um, I remember this past years as a very um, I remember this past years as a very turbulent time where one day you are like, oh yeah, we can do, we can change, we can publish this, we can talk about this. And then the other day you're like, oh no, it's really horrible. We cannot do anything. It's just getting worse and worse. 
So it was always ups and downs. And I remember on the day of the raids, where five uh, of the houses of the docs editors were raided, I woke up and felt that, okay, now this is a turning point and I should really take the decision if I am in journalism or I'm not. And it will be like this really a big decision and I I should really think about it and uh, decide for myself and for my future because this a lot. Uh, and I think I not even thought for an hour. <laughs> it took me 30 minutes. <laughs> and I, that time, didn't remember uh, that this decision would be so, so total. Because now, after the start of a full invasion to Ukraine, it's impossible to think that I can quit journalism. Just impossible. And living in Berlin in exile, I would say it hasn't been very easy but also not bad because I feel the power of community on the opposite side from Shura and I understand that it's also a privilege of um, spaces that are providing this opportunity and uh, events that are happening more in Berlin maybe than in Vilnius. I want to just pick up on what you said Shura about what you left behind. Last time we spoke, you said that you feel that DOXA represents youth. And an important backdrop that we don't really see represented so much in in Western media of the current crackdown on freedoms and and of the mobilization of soldiers to fight in Ukraine is the lives of the young people that are affected and targeted by these, these things and as Russia becomes more and more closed off, at least from our part of the world, that part of the story is something that I fear will will disappear for us more and more. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, how would you describe your generation of Russian youth before the war? Mm. Um, yeah, I think we had so much thoughts about it. Uh, but I think uh, what I want to start is that... Um, People in Russia, Russia is a very centralized country. Like mm, People uh, who were born in Moscow, they have uh, absolutely different uh, background than people from regions. I mean, it's... Sorry, guys. <laughs> I mean, it's not like uh, people from regions, they, as me, I was raised in um, small cities. And when I went to... Then I moved to Moscow to study at university... I actually had no uh, political views, like strong political views. Um, of course, I felt like um, I had some feministic uh, ideas, but it wasn't like uh, formalized. And my political socialization was at university. And I think um, uh, it's like something that we can share in Russia because we don't have uh, so much uh, institution that... Uh, give uh, opportunity to be politicized and what I think is that people young people in Russia they felt like um, they are lost I think this feeling of the you are lost is very uh, popular among young Russians because um, you from the one hand you have your parents who have this uh, post-Soviet trauma and they say to you it's important for you to get a job just start a normal life we, you, we should be uh, like normal and you don't know what to 
uh, what do you want from this life? And I think this this is a big trouble for now that, that, that even this Institute of Political Socialization at universities uh, is broken and um, a lot of uh, great professors that actually give uh, me a lot of um, political ideas, they are uh, uh, fired. And uh, for now, uh, we received a lot of messages from the students who are forced to participate in patriotic movements instead of uh, free clubs that we had at our time. Even like four years later, we, uh, we like three or four la later ago, we had this opportunity to like launch the political club uh, at university to start like an interview show. But now um, everything is gone and I think in future, people, young people, they will feel even more lost. Yeah. Uh, and being from Moscow, Katya, do you, do you share that experience? I think that yes, because um, we together with Shura studied in the same university, but coming from different backgrounds, I was totally more in the privileged middle class one which were more of a political and, as Shura said, more like mm, ambitious and going for um, corporation career, which was for me always questionable, not in the sense that it's uh, bad or good, it's just that it's not my cup of tea. Um, so when I was living in Moscow these past years, it was very vibrant and very uh, stimulating community where I was. We had events, we had public talks, we had schools. And uh, imagine back then in higher school of economics, Doxa could do a summer school with uh, Slavoj Žižek and uh, find finance resources on that. And now I think in higher school of economics, you can find resources, I don't know, maybe only on making some propaganda. There's only. definitely been a streamlining of the university sector. Yeah, and very year. rapid, very rapid mm. streamline. And I think everybody expected that after certain events, after we got expelled as a student organization from high school economics. But also, I remember, because I graduated from high school economics last year, that many professors on my faculty were very, very frustrated and disappointed because they were building big academia and big society and community inside Lisbon um, University and now it's turning to be just a, another instrument of propaganda. I want to jump to um, one of the things that I know that, that um, you guys are interested in and, and that is how young Russians are reacting to the war? Um, I think that uh, it is uh, really difficult to estimate uh, the average reaction of uh, youth to towards uh, the war in Ukraine. But uh, I think that uh, uh, it certainly differs from uh, the elder generation because uh, usually all the participants of the uh, manifestations are young people and the students and uh, we saw the anti-war manifestations in the beginning of the war uh, and uh, there were a lot of students and besides uh, 
uh, as a journalist uh, in DOXA, I can say that uh, we receive a lot of messages from uh, students from all the regions of Russia uh, who are complaining that uh, they're forced to participate uh, in uh, propaganda movements and uh, in patriotic movements, and uh, that they are forced to need uh, the ammunition for Russian soldiers, uh, what is uh, absurd. Uh, and uh, yes, uh, the government uh, wants, uh, the Russian government wants to show, uh, I don't know, first of all, to the people who live in Russia and maybe to some uh, international colleagues that uh, everybody, uh, including the youth, is supporting the war. But uh, that's false. And uh, that is uh, only uh, an illusion that uh, Russian government uh, is uh, spreading through the propaganda sources like, uh, I don't know, Russia Today, maybe in an international level, and uh, other propaganda sources uh, inside Russia. In a way, I mean, the, the with the war and the, the crackdown, you know, you one thing is that, that the conditions for you have changed, but your role in society has also changed, right, as a provider of information. Um how has your work changed now that you are outside Russia? I think uh, that um, this is like a problem that uh, even if you like read uh, news uh, from Russia every day, you of course have like the different perspective of you, like, different perspective on uh, what's going on in Russia. And uh, I think that uh, we as journalists, we s struggle with it. But I think... Um, now we still have some uh, reporters in Russia who work anonymously and um, we in DOXA we have uh, safety protocols, uh, crypto safety protocols um, that we should follow and um, the big, the most, uh, uh, the biggest problem is to find the data because since the war started uh, we uh, we had no, we have no access to the most of the data. For example, how many people were mobilized, how many people died uh, in uh, in the war, uh, even like how they spent money, <laughs> Russian government. So mm, the one problem is that uh, we should find data um, only in open sources, like the local uh, publics, uh, the local groups in social media that publish information about their own like uh, relatives um, and uh, yeah and we can verify of course with data uh, so this also the problem that all um, independent media in Russia are blocked uh, so it's uh, it's very difficult to uh, reach the people in Russia because uh, to like open our site for example they have to uh, find VPN to find VPN they have to pay for it and for pay you can just pay from your Russian bank uh, it's forbidden so you have to find another bank so it's a lot of uh, uh, level <laughs> of struggling so mm, yeah and also um uh, I think uh, today I ha have spoken with journalists from another media and they have thought that we maybe should start uh, chats uh, from w in 
uh, WhatsApp or Messenger that is called Viber because uh, they are very popular among Russians. Uh, and maybe this is the source of reaching the audience in Russia. And I also know that uh, FEM anti-war resistance, feminist uh, activists, they scraped uh, the data from, uh, you know, these chats of uh, wives of uh, mobilized people, like the relative of uh, mobilized people, because um, they are audience that we can politicize as well. And uh, what uh, feminist anti-war movement uh, did they just uh, uh, find the names, the nicknames of his people, and so the activist can write to its people and provide them information about um, the real news from Ukraine and uh, uh, organization that can help them. Our time is, is running out, but before we round up, I want to, to congratulate you once more on your prize and give you the chance to quickly address our listeners so you are now on this peace prize tour that gives you a platform to speak to a lot of people about the things you stand for what are your main messages to people i think our main message for the people is that um, we as a young journalist and activist and uh, young freshmen from universities we just graduated we want the victory of Ukraine, the first thing and the foremost, and uh, then the changing, changing the climate in Russia. I'm talking about political climate, of course, maybe climate change also we can stop. <laughs> That'll yeah. be the next podcast. Yeah, the next podcast. Um, and uh, we really need support from other people. We as a journalist in exile need resources to sustain we have a team that we need to relocate so if you could donate some money to us it would be amazing if you could support other independent medias and uh, activists like Bidusa, feminist anti-war resistance and uh, we as a journalists always open for collaborations and uh, exchange with information between NGOs and uh, researchers because we understand that climate in Russia is so rapidly changing and we as a journalist collecting a lot of information about that. So we would be very happy and willing to collaborate. And I think it's important to continue reading news about war in Ukraine and support Ukraine because um, this is the most important thing, I guess, right now. We will have to end on that note. Um, you've heard an episode of The World Stage with me, Tura Bergenatista, and Yekaterina Martinova, Nikita Kuczynski and Alexandra Gurdjieva from Doxa magazine. This podcast from the Norwegian Institute of International Affairs is produced in cooperation with the Norwegian-Russia Research Network. Norwegian speakers who are interested in learning more about the network can do that and sign up to a monthly newsletter on our websites. Thank you for listening.